Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Listening to a podcast from the Word. You can stand up if you want. You can stand, stand up. up. God, then he'd never shut up. He'd stand up. That'd be the next step. Right. People who broadcast standing up. Danny Baker. Yeah. He's certainly used to Capital Radio. All uh, of them. All of them. All of them. They, there, are no, there, are, there are no chairs. The great Richard Allen. Is that there true? There are no chairs in the Capital Radio studios. So I need my specs. It's uh, oh. it's verboten. Which is strange, because Richard Allenson... Some of the mayor uses a headset. (laughs) Richard Allenson, uh, strange, because he actually sounds like he's broadcasting after a fistful of Mogadon. Yes, he does. You can't believe that's him being energised by running about. You know, what a beautiful day. Wow, look at that. It feel to be pointing at your face. Is it not? We've got a new... It sounds just fine. It sounds just fine. He'll be the judge of that, won't he? Um, In a world where death means life, life means... Have you you come across, for for all of those people who who are feeling a little bit um, un-Christmas spirit-like, can I just suggest tuning into Soma FM's uh, Christmas in Frisco, which is uh, a web-based radio station, and it's absolutely fantastic. And the other day, uh, they had... um, Orson Welles reading Twas the Night Before Christmas. Twas the Night Before Christmas. <laughs> and all oh, through the house. Through the house. Not a creature was stirring. Not even a mouse. <laughs> Do you know that voice? That's exactly what it was Do like. Do you know that guy who does Blockbuster, right? Now, I, it, it annoys me so much because I can do that voice. That's the only voice I could do, apart from George Harrison. You know, it's a voice. It's usually, it's usually just in a world where love means hate and hate means death and death means life and life means time and time means nothing. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> There's a little pause and it goes, Robert De Niro, Glenn Close, as you've never seen her before. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so can you say, can you say, try this, Academy Award nominee. Oh, yeah. Academy Award nominee, Glenn Close. <laughs> Four Back times, again, Academy Award. Four times, maybe more. <laughs> I love that voice. <coughs> but the point is that that guy gets paid a lot of money. I could, in a world, I can do that. Didn't he die? He did, he died. <laughs> yeah, yes, yes, he shot. did die. A, yeah. what, you're, what you're saying is there's a <laughs> gap in the market. There's a the the job. It's the only job. Well, <coughs> let me in. I can do that voice. 
Tommy Vance, who used yeah. to do quite a bit of voices, of voicing like that, used to. He once told me in a bar how he did it that he effectively just rested his lips on the microphone. He, he got, got the microphone as far in his mouth as he possibly could to get That's that, that tone. Yeah, Didn't uh, you know Tommy Vance do? He did some very famous uh, cologne. Was it denim? Something like that. That was his voice, wasn't it? For men who don't have to you try. Don't have to try too hard. Too hard. <laughs> That's right. Whenever, whenever the name comes. <laughs> I think you should do loads of old ads in that. That'd be really good. Can you remember one thing? I could sting for this, couldn't I? The Word Podcast. <laughs> where, where the fun never sets. You know, it's that kind of thing, isn't it? The, the <laughs> enduring image that I have whenever anyone na- mentions the name of Tommy Vance is the, um, the old Radio 1 building was at Egerton House. Yeah. And Tommy Vance's office was directly opposite the door to the lift on the third or fourth floor, I can't remember. And on the front, on the door of his office, he'd stuck loads of different kind of rock pictures. But the one that sticks in my mind was a photo, no, of of Tommy Vance. I think it must have been taken out out of a newspaper. With the largest pair of Y fronts ever seen on over his jeans and his arms going through the, the, the leg holes of the pants, levered up. Oh, God. <laughs> so he's just stretching these. Oh, anyone anyone it, who's got a photograph or can put that, can source that photo. It must have been taken from a newspaper. And what it was, was he advertising? It was just Tommy in a rocktacular pose. <laughs> it was fantastic. Tommy Vance, I, I spent some time with him in Memphis, Tennessee a few years ago. We went out doing stuff for VH1 and we went and did a week was in that Memphis, TV Tennessee. and TS? T- TV on radio? The TV larynx on legs. The larynx on legs. <laughs> Voice for hire. Uh, and uh, he... Vance for hire. And uh, <laughs> Tommy was one of those people who always wore a kind of tour jacket and always wore sunglasses. And and was rarely seen um, other than the evening. I noticed this. About and they were always aviator shades. Yes. <laughs> aviator shades. That's right. Never and, seen in daylight. And I used to get up. We were staying at the Peabody Hotel in Memphis. Bear with me. Because Peabody is a legendary hotel. A beautiful hotel in Memphis. If you're ever there, do try and stay there. It's one of those places where Sam Phillips used to record blues artists in the hotel rooms, you know, back in, back in the yeah. day. It's fantastic history. Also has ducks in in a pond in the lobby. You know. Oh, that's good. Inside what, what, indoor in, ducks. Into, what little yellow indoor duck, ducks that are ducks. indoor ducks overnight. They live on the roof. Sorry, uh-huh. we're getting a tangent upon no, tangent no, this is good. here. Yeah, it's good. The ducks live on the roof. Ducks live on the roof, and then during the at, at a certain point in the morning, probably ten o'clock, they that's are kind of paraded down via the lift into the lobby. <laughs> Where the kind of commissioner, or the kind of you know the chef de duck, um, goes, <laughs> no, goes in front of them, and they then these ducks they go into the pond, which is in in the lobby, you know, like a f- hotels often yeah, have yeah. fountains in lobbies, you know, it's very relaxing. This is a fountain plus a pond, and then at the end of the day, at about five o'clock or whatever, they it's time. They you know they are taken out oh. of the pond into the lift. Up to the roof, to where, the where they stay overnight. You disappoint me. I thought it was. I thought it was the Memphis fly. They're American. They're American ducks. No, 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 like they can't get off the ground. I thought it was. I thought it was the Memphis version of the lobster tank. You'd kind of oh, lean over from the I'll restaurant have, and go, I'll have that, that one. <laughs> anyway, Come in number three, your time is up. a glint in his eye. <laughs> long, long ago, in, in a land that time forgot, I was telling a story yes, about Tommy Vance. Time forgot. And uh, and Tommy, I used to wonder why. You know, where was Tommy in the morning? I, I used to get up very dutifully early in the morning, like I do, and go out and film items. And you know, whenever the producers wanted to be there, I was there. 
And I said, well, did Tommy doing any of this? Oh, no, Tommy doesn't do that until later in the day. And I happened to be back in the hotel lobby on the stroke of midday. I just said... The, the, the crack the, of noon. The, the crack of noon. <laughs> you know, the, the, uh, the, the clock was chiming in the lobby. And on the last chime, the twelfth chime, I heard the ding of an elevator door open. That's brilliant. And it, and it opened. Brilliant. And out came Tommy. Aviator shades, <laughs> tour jacket, jacket, ready to yeah. face yeah. the day. Yeah. Simply did not function yeah. at any point before, um, before was he, midday. But was he going long after you were tucked up in bed? Uh, he probably was. He was probably drinking Jack <laughs> in the bar, you know, about five Remember hours after I, after I was looking at the inside of my lids. <laughs> With a long neck on the side. Yeah. After, whereas I'd, you know, I'd put on my Winsiette pyjamas and yeah. was up the wooden hill to Bedfordshire. Yeah. I went down to say goodnight to everybody in the bar, you know, <laughs> carrying a teddy bear. With, tucked up with a nice piece of Woodhouse. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Very probably was. It's prettily a slumber. <laughs> All those monster vans oh, is, is laying waste to dear. vast tracks. Carnage. Carnage. <laughs> Rock carnage. Some time ago, chat, we launched into the Word podcast which it, this is and yeah. I don't <laughs> oh, right, as, yeah. as if you thought it, you might have kind of got on the world <laughs> yeah. the world tonight by mistake you might have got on the Guardian <laughs> Music Week Guardian Music Week I was going to say that you <laughs> should be reviewing some singles possibly uh, <laughs> trying to keep in touch with uh, the new tracks that are coming in at the moment and keep our fingers on the pulse of rock and pop Paul anyway they win an award can't remember that go yeah, on it did. well we're not bitter um, and uh, I'm David Hepworth, you are... I'm Mark Ellen. And you are... Last time I looked, Matt Hall. Okay. And it is customary in the... In, I think it's probably the... There might be the last podcast in the year. It depends. Actually, I'm interviewing on Monday Richard Thompson for a backstage wow. podcast. Very good. I'll, um, That's good. I hope to get out... Next let's, week. let's do some recording at the word Christmas party. Yes, we'll amazing. do that. It's a That'll good idea. We did that well. last year. We did that last year. We'll do it the results, but we were lit up. Like, <laughs> were we like, like, well, like Christmas trees. <laughs> That's, right. That's a very good idea because then we can feature Alex Gold doing his extraordinary, you know, million, be the million, magic Alex, million, million different ways oh, of uh, saying okay. Oh yeah, and decent. Uh, and we can do Juliet Cromwell, and they, you know, we give her uh, rock names to to pronounce and see. If oh, that's <laughs> cool. What was the one that she got wrong? I can't remember that we quoted it before. Eno or whatever. Brian Eno. But anyway, um, one of the things we do on this podcast, we talk about things we have learned this week. I'm going to cheat, but I just want to get this off my chest. Which I, I've been triggered into this by the unbelievable response to to uh, the correspondence about Andrew Collins' column about grey and red squirrels in the current issue of Word, <laughs> special nature supplement. You know, Andrew making the point that you know uh, that uh, trying to cull one form of squirrel rather than another is just some form of kind of furry apartheid or something. It's racism. But it's what whatever. It's class snobbery. The point is, it has triggered a correspondence on the site, which is which is. In the time-honoured word fashion, it started on the point. It has now spun off into into <laughs> mad absurdity. It was absolutely Apparently hilarious. last night, I haven't looked at this, there was 173 oh, was posts. Oh, right. there's about 250 this morning. It's, yeah. it's, what about it's, Collins and his squirrels? Oh, just all kinds of things. Richard Lowe, actually, most recent uh, contribution. I'm so glad we addressed the real priorities in life. <laughs> Richard Lowe offering uh, squirrel culling a compromised solution. Says all methods of squirrel extermination should be banned except throwing shoes at them. 
good. A fair contest for Brer Squirrel and a much-needed shot in the arm for the ailing shoe and re- manufacturing and retailing industry. Has anyone, ever, has anyone, ever, has anyone posted, because I haven't read this thread, has anyone posted about the... Um, there, was, there used to be a bounty on the head, or more specifically the tail of squirrels, in um, Bournemouth. Oh, because really? Bournemouth ca- Town Council um, has a looks after a number of lovely, um, I think they're called chines in, in Bournemouth vernacular, which is kind of wooded valleys yeah. that run down to the sea. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Um, overrun when I was down there in the mid-80s with grey squirrels, and apparently there was a, um, if you took the tail of a squirrel to a... Uh, to the Bournemouth Town Hall. They'll give got, you a quid. I think it was 12p, actually. I You'd have to do a lot. I to butt in on your podcast and make a few points about our furry friends in the, in the country, but I do know quite a lot about the red squirrel <laughs> situation. Now, actually, on B- B- Brownsea Island, yeah. in Poole Harbour, is the last bastion of the red squirrels. In the south. In the south. There's some up in Scotland, I think, aren't there? And, and a few up in the wilds of Lancashire, The wilds of Lancashire, yeah. that's right. Because Johnny Grey Squirrel has not yet mastered a method of... <laughs> Of, of punting across the briny <laughs> to <laughs> get to Brown Sound. Where on Brown Sound, there's a, a, some red squirrels left, the, the last of the population, probably only about half a dozen, gibbering with fear <laughs> the idea that every day there might be a See, baby. what he should do, what Brad Grey Squirrel should do, yeah. is pick up a copy of, uh, of um, Beatrix Potter's um, Squirrel Nutkin. Oh, yeah. Because then you'll, they'd find that the way to do it is to make a small raft. I've twigged. Yeah, and then put their tails, tails up as a up. sail. Exactly and they managed right. to sail across exactly water. Right. Yeah. But I love the idea that we're, so this is this is the column that was in Word magazine that has got so many. We're on a tangent. tangent. So a, where are we? Tangent upon getting, tangent upon. I'm tangent. getting I'm getting a wave, a semaphore from no, Dave, no, no, which no, I recognised many times over the last thirty years. Which means just whatever you're on about, wind it up. <laughs> Let's get back to the script. The script is broad. While we're talking about furry creatures on the on the podcast, which is not often, I just wanted to to. To contribute one piece of intelligence I came across in the last six months, which knocked me sideways, which I read it in a marvellous book called England in Particular, which is a oh, that's great book, fantastic yeah, that, yeah. book, and it is this: that squirrels, not squirrels, I'm start again. It is this: rabbits were resident in this country for five hundred years before they went into the wild. They were introduced... Is it Johnny this... Roman or Johnny Norman bought them over? I think it might be Johnny Norman, actually. Yeah. I think it's probably Johnny Norman. Uh, Norman, Frère, Norman, Norman, Norman. Norman. Frère, Frère Norman. <laughs> Pierre Norman. Le lapin! <laughs> C'est délicieux! <laughs> Avec les moutards. <laughs> <laughs> Marveilleuse! <laughs> anyway. Yeah. They, used, they used to basically farm them. In, in warrens, you know, underground warrens, which are bricked off or fenced off from surrounding countryside... Uh, and they were, you know, they were bred for, for fur and for, and for food. And it was only like, the, I think, the, the 17th, 18th century that they had... One little bastard got, two little bastards got up and virtually Can destroyed you believe Australia. Australia you? And, now, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and now apparently there are 36 million of the little fluffy creatures. Yeah. Although I can't, how anybody does a rabbit census, I'm not quite... Do you think we should weird. get Collins to write a philosophical editorial about this? In <laughs> I think she should read your mate in the Times. Absolutely astonishing. I thought it was an interesting, uh, interesting fact, isn't it? What did you learn this week? What did I learn? Well, I learned, in fact, Richard Lowe's uh, email um, tipped me off there, actually. I learned that the best way to advertise your displeasure and probably get yourself on the television for doing is to throw your shoes at somebody. Oh, yes. I've decided there are various people I'm going to throw my shoes at. 
your shoes are yeah. terrifying. I mean, obviously, in the traditions of shoes? the East, this is considered to be uh, a very, very um, aggressive statement. What, what particular animal insult are you going to throw at them after your shoes? Oh, I don't think you have to throw an animal insult. It's just the shoes, isn't it? I think it was, it was, the, it was the dog bit as well yes. that was a <laughs> poured, poured, poured insult upon insult. I didn't exactly call him. Yeah, he called him a dog. Oh, I did. Yeah. I missed that. All yeah. oh, right, yeah. No, I think this is a good way to express displeasure. Patty Smith, next time I see her in concert, I'm going to very carefully take my shoes off. No, don't, don't hold them at the stage. Don't, how big are your shoes? They're enormous. I think your, your shoes could take oh, out. Anne Robinson, she better, she better duck. She better look out. I think Sting. it was very sporty. I think she should take them. Sting's too pleased with himself. A pair of my shoes winging their way across an auditorium. Take a pair of wipe the smile off his face. Take a pair of flip flops. All right, you know, yeah. you, know, you know, kind of uh, not fatal. No, you know, just the disrespect is, you know, disrespect. Slippers. Okay, that's good. What did you learn this week, Matt? I learned um, from um, an extract from a, a fantastic-looking book about uh, photos behind the scene um, on the scene of, on the set of The Godfather. I'm not going to bother telling you the actual title of the book because I know it costs four hundred quid. Um, but um, there's a fantastic uh, photo here of um, of um, Coppola talking to um, Brando, and I, don't, I learned that Brando wasn't the first choice for the role of Vito Corleone. Um, in fact, the, the, net, the um, studio disliked Coppola's uh, idea to give Brando the, the gig, that um, he only was allowed to offer it to Brando after he actually rang up Larry Olivier and made sure that he was actually not well enough to do the filming. Now, how different would the, would the uh, Godfather have well, been? The other, the other thing they wanted, I think, was they wanted Robert Redford as Michael Corleone, didn't they? Well, apparently... Um, Which is bizarre. To another of these cats. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the other thing is, apparently, uh, Frankie Sinatra wanted the gig, made himself, made himself <laughs> available, oh, and yeah. was turned oh, down. Oh, Could you have imagined yeah. that one? It would have been a, probably a more efficiently made film without Brando. Yeah, say. maybe. It would maybe. have been more... Because he was, apparently he was coming off a, a, like a whole row of complete turkeys. Well, and also, Most of his films was the film? have been absolute turkeys. What was the film that Brando made? Um, it had something to do with um, the Museum on the Bounty. Probably was called it was called the music. That would have been it. Where, where he is so, <laughs> he's so dislocated from the experience that he had. And this is uh, this is uh, this was established even at the time. He had somebody reading his script into an earpiece. Do you remember? Oh, he did that in loads of films. And I think I'm not sure he doesn't do it in Apocalypse Now. His script isn't enormous anyway, is it? Yeah. Just you know, and so these long silences where you think he's being moody and enigmatic. He's actually just receiving information in an earpiece. He's, he's trying to. Memorize. He refused to learn lines. Interestingly, uh, via the miracle of YouTube, if you go and look at uh, Tony Hancock doing The Blood Downer on television, and Tony Hancock got to the point where he just simply would not learn lines. And so now those things are shot as live, so it's quite demanding yeah. to remember the script. It's only like an actor on, on stage. Uh, and so everything had to be held up on, on cue cards. And you can see him, once you know that... You can see him all the time, furtively Glancy looking around <laughs> for you know for where the next next well, the, lines coming from. The famous episode in um, in um, uh, uh, come what it's called now. Mary, Marilyn Monroe, too early in the morning. Marilyn Monroe, famous film. I like it hot. hot. Yeah. The bit where she's <laughs> famous, <laughs> famous group from Liverpool. Four uh, yeah, four of them. Four of haircuts. Yeah. So scaff, like, oh, well, she's scaff, she's scaff, looking scaff. for the hot water Jerry bottle. The she's looking for the hot water bottle. Do you remember? And she opens the drawers, looking for the hot water bottle full of gin. And the reason she opens about six drawers and says something each time is that sellotaped on the bottom the of the drawer. Of the line, just <laughs> to say, it's fantastic. It's six That's brilliant. The word.
a magazine, a website, a podcast, a way of life. Now, we've also had huge correspondence on the word website, wordmagazine.co.uk, about which uh, superannuated TV stars are in panto round your neck of the woods. And, and the extraordinary reflection on just how long TV fame seems to last in the world of panto. And the classic example of this is, did you know that Antonio Fargus, better known as Huggy Bear, out of Starsky and Hutch... Only known as Huggy Bear. Is he He is in, I'm not sure what, I'm not sure what he's in, but he's in Catford. Okay. And um, <laughs> Paul, Paul Michael Glazer, who was Starsky Oh, think, God, yeah, 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 he was, yeah. David here. Soul was Hutch, wasn't he? Uh, Henry Winkler... Of the Fonz fame is over here playing Captain Hook in some. Yeah, they're all uh, over here. Now it's just interesting. Yeah, but the, no, but the mad one is is Steve Guttenberg. Steve Guttenberg, who 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 is actually a layer of fame above all those other people that you mentioned who were who were big grossing TV stars. Steve Guttenberg was in Three Men and a Baby, and City Slickers was he in? Yeah, and for one point in the kind of in the in the in that in the eighties, yeah, but was in like the three highest grossing films of all time. There is a great line in The Simpsons. The Simpsons when Homer joins some bizarre. Uh, would-be Masonic um, group <laughs> and, you know, to learn to sing their drinking song. And one of the... The idea is, is that this group are the hidden string pullers behind all the mysteries of the universe. And one of the lines is, who made Steve Gutenberg a star? We did. That's good. That's good. <laughs> so if ever there was a person who rose without trace, it's Steve Gutenberg. So yes, he is over here. So is he now an ugly, ugly sister or something? Very right? probably. It's just unbelievable because it is one of the... It, it, sorry, I'm going to bore about this for a moment because I met earlier last year, actually, I met the, the artistic director of the Theatre Royal Norwich. And Theatre Royal Norwich is one of Britain's you know, biggest regional yeah, yeah, yeah. theatres and, and well I don't know about rep but you know <laughs> serious theatre and so forth and and he I was talking to him about the yeah what it was like running it and he said without pantomime we simply couldn't keep the place open it's the, you know they, they run pantomime season about five six weeks something like that and if you're lucky and you get it right you have bums on seats two shows a day people paying proper money for, for five or six weeks, which is not going to happen when you, you know, when you do, you know, Harold Pinter's, no, you know, The Dumb Waiter or no, whatever. Crucible. Or, it's just yeah, not going to happen man. at all. Uh, and it's not even going to happen when, you know, kind of you know, the musician goes, goes on tour, not in, not in those kind of numbers. And so, you know, it is, it is a very honourable tradition that this goes on. And that's why the people like Henry Winkler, big names, you know, come over here because they're obviously well paid to do it and also they like it because yeah. they're playing in front of appreciative yeah. who do you remember from Panto as a kid because I can remember oh. in the early, I think probably must be about 1964 coming up to London to see I think it was Cinderella starring um, Cilla Black and a guy called Mr Pastry oh but, Richard Hearn Mr <laughs> Pastry yeah who, who was it, who was I used to love Mr Pastry yeah a real old duffer then who always uh, used to end up with his foot in a bucket of paint he did yeah and uh, there's usually in, I something he was involving richly entertaining the yes. great pastry he was usually decorating basically wasn't it yeah that was uh, de- decorating went wrong with his, Mr Pastry his guy was, yeah Silla would come on you know as, as Cinderella somehow the script uh, editor had crowbarred into this a scene where her room had to be re-wallpapered <laughs> An ugly sister would come in and trip over a bucket, and all manner of hilarity would ensue. Oh, 
<laughs> it's funny you should say Scylla because this is one of the things that people have corresponded She's about right. on the site. Really Scylla is, is starring in Panto in Liverpool. She's not. She's still doing oh, it. Yeah, that, that's, oh. that's her first time back since about 1966, isn't yeah, it? She's but. probably got a bucket of wallpaper paste on her foot right now <laughs> in rehearsal. She's not, not started yet or just about to start. And it involves two weeks of rehearsal, which they wanted to do in Liverpool. And yes. said, I may love the old manor. Yeah. If you think I'm leaving planet Virginia water to go up there, you know, for two weeks, you must be very mistaken. And so, you know, troops of thespians have had to make their way down to London to rehearse with, you know, the sainted Scylla. And the economics still work out. Apparently, cheaper to get you know, regular cast members to go down than it is to fly star up there, I would Brilliant. imagine. Is this yeah. Cannon? Is this Ball? I mean, who are her co-stars? Oh, is it Jim, Nick, Nick, David? I can probably find out if I look on the Word website. It's all there. But we've had some fantastic feedback on this, because you were talking about early memories. And, uh, and where's this one... That oh god, I was going to read and I've lost a bit of paper. Sorry, Matt. I was completely Is spoiled you... when I went to the only time that I've oh, ever been yeah. to um, to Panto was Bath Theatre Royal. I guess the kind of middle mid eighties, maybe even earlier. Um, and I saw Frankie Howard. Oh my god! Before, I, I before, saw Frankie Howard before before just be, it must be just before. You, see, you were died. so hideously young. I thought you were going to say you saw Paul Heaton. No, 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 no. It was, no, no. It was, it was, it was Frankie Howard, <laughs> and it was fantastic because he obviously didn't have a scene until, like, you know, middle of the second act or whatever, and yet wanted and lapped up the audience's adulation so much, just came on, just wandered came on. Wandered on. Just to ruin everybody else. Wandered on halfway through the first just act. Trying to get the pot struck. Just the stood, pot struck at, stood at the back, mugging. <laughs> Those the guys, their hands. Raising eyebrows, lowering eyebrows. And just obviously, the whole house was collapsed. You know, it was genius. I found the one I was going to read from Graham Johns, and this is wonderful. My abiding memory of Panto, he says, is discomfort. It was the new theatre Cardiff in 1968. I was trussed up in my Sunday best, which involved a lot of Harris tweed. Oh, <laughs> God. God. I can see. On entry, I was given a goodie bag that contained a proper Jaffa orange, a fruit so juicy it was only safe to eat naked in the shower. <laughs> My hands became sticky magnets for the theatre's accumulated detritus. <laughs> Centuries a, of flood. <laughs> a broken spring in my grubby velvet suit was seat wormed its way into my backside throughout the show. The thrill of seeing Ray Allen and Lord Charles. Yes. Two-ton Tessie O'Shea and the Morton Fraser Harmonica gang wore off more quickly than the desire never to go back. That's very That's good. Very, very good. I love the idea of him coming out with his kind of fluff-ridden hands, <laughs> giant hands covered in old bits of toffee. <laughs> Conkers. A couple of wonderful contributions from Nick White, who is directing a panto at the Special Needs Primary School where he works. It's a musical version of Roald Dahl's Jack of the Beanstalk. And rehearsals are going as well as can be expected. When they discover gold up the beanstalk, Jack's mother, played by a boy with autism, has a line to say to Jack, brackets, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Like, I'll sell, <laughs> the line is, I'll sell the mini, buy a Rolls. 
Unfortunately, he keeps saying, I'll sell the mini, buy some rolls. <laughs> which, which is not sell quite mini, the rolls. same. That's good. And uh, he says, crush. the children are confused as it is. <laughs> a couple of years, downturn. A couple of years ago, during a nativity play we were doing, a boy dressed in a sheet with a tea towel on his head was just about to go on stage. And he turned to me and whispered, Nick, am I a shepherd or a leopard? That's superb. <laughs> It makes that, no difference. That's <laughs> fantastic, Just it. isn't it? And from the always, always reliable Archie Valparaiso, responding, responding to somebody else's, you know, memory of their, their favourite panto, he goes, wrong and tea wrong. I've never heard that. <laughs> that's good. I've never heard that expression, but I will be using it. Oh, that's time. so I'm good. not paying you at all, Archie. <laughs> wrong and tea wrong. Okay. Will you be even credit? Is, is this it, the first and final credit? <laughs> it's, he's done, yes, absolutely. He's, he's uh, you know, um, uh, making disparaging comments about the previous pantomime. He says, where's the creepy ventriloquist? Where's the former member of top pop group, Shiwadi Wadi? <laughs> Where's the who they comedy double act invariably build the hilarious oh, yeah, dot yeah. dot? TV's hilarious. Where's yeah. the menacing rictus grin of the cellulitis slapping principal boy? Where's the one, where's the once eminent theatrical, the scent of whose eau de Glenlivet is perceptible from the six rows? Very good. The six rows. Valparaiso is on full. So I, that's not panto. It's Hello Dolly without the benefit of Danny LaRue. <laughs> so, you know, if, oh, you, if, if you want to pile in on the subject of uh, pentos you have known and loved, you know, Word website is the place Limitlessly to do Limitlessly entertaining. A magazine, a website, a podcast, The Word. So, Mike, you sent me a press cut- cutting about the, uh, about the BBC's elbowing of Ed Sturton. Oh, yeah, yeah, the I Today did, yeah, yeah. Go on, explain. Oh, well, I, I, I don't know how big a story it is, but I thought, I just thought it was Mark, a it's a huge great. story. What are you talking it's about? It's a disgrace, <laughs> isn't it? Basically, Ed Sturton, who I met not long ago, at a, uh, he was no. at school with my brother. And uh, my brother, brother in law, and uh, I, no, I met him at a do, and what a splendid cove he was. And he had to present, and he obviously just wanted someone to uh, soak up the half an hour before he went on stage. Uh, he wasn't going to give him a hard time, so he found me. And we sat there and nattered away, and he was an excellent fellow. And then he discovered that, um, yeah, I think he was, was he rung up by a journalist. He was rung up by a journalist. Oh, yeah. said, it's a standard right BBC yeah. firing, this yeah. is, isn't it? Yeah. They, they, journalists rang him up and said, um, is it true you, is it you're true moving on? You're moving on. And so he then rang up his, uh, his um, uh, employer and said, is it true I'm moving on? And they said, yes. Yes. <laughs> it's absolutely fantastic but the, way of doing business, isn't the it? Classic, it, it? I mean, not moving on till whatever it is. Uh, well, that's brilliant. Until yeah. October. October. So for, for <laughs> nine, ten months. Oh, really? Yeah, ten yeah. months. Ed Sturton's He's really going to command the... Uh, you know, he, they don't want him to do. He's really, he knows they don't want him. He's really going to command the respect of every cabinet minister who comes on and, uh, but, and he has to interview now. Okay, but yeah. in these, particularly in these straightened times, you know, and this is, this is a bloody serious issue for loads of people, who else has a job that they know is going to be there in October next year? You know, most of the people he's interviewing aren't going to be... Justin Webb does. Yeah, so he's got his job. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I see. <laughs> I see. No, I thought it was. I thought it was an absolute and utter total shambles. There's been quite a lot of very, very good, very hard-hitting columns written about it. One of the times. But, 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 but what are they going? What right? Okay, got but, to treat but Mark, employers like what this. happens? Okay, uh, but I'm just going to put the BBC's point that they would say if they dared come out and say the truth. Which they don't dare, because the issue of press release saying Ed is going on to look at loads of interesting new projects, and Ed goes, I, I don't, I don't know these at all. That's just the kind of thing they put in a note. But 
Sorry, you're gonna you're gonna. That's make exactly what I was gonna say. Sorry, yeah, that's exactly what they I was said. Gonna say. That, but what they're really thinking is this, and this is the horrible, hideous truth of TV and radio talent: is they hire it at will and they fire it at will, and it's no point arguing afterwards. Well, I'm really good at my job. I've been doing it for years. No, I'm not, and, Dave, Dave, I'm no, not disputing that for a split second. What I'm disputing is they have... I don't think the decent thing is to have a word with Ed Sturton first. Oh, yeah, I agree. That's I'd not agree. the point. I agree with that. No, that's not the point. The point but now is, the argument is... Don't fucking fire somebody <laughs> by telling the Guardian to ring them up and tell them they're fired. I don't think it's they... Uh, to be fair, I don't think they told the Guardian... No, they didn't, but they shouldn't have let that information no, out. No, it's shabbily handled. But here's the horrible truth. That, that, you know, being a TV or radio presenter, it means that somebody plucks you out of the anonymous hordes and says you, Russell Brand Ed Stoughton, whoever you know, Maura Stewart we have decided that you out of all the people that are qualified to do this thing we're going to pay you a huge amount of money and make you very famous to do this thing which actually is quite simple yeah, which loads of people could do and then ten years later we're going to change our minds because we're going to get somebody slightly younger actually to do that and that's the horrible ecology of broadcasting and there's no point whinging about it. No, no, that's not what anyone's whinging about. It is. About oh, it is. No, it is. I think, uh, well, I think... They are Nobody's whinging about the are. fact that somebody should be taken off and give the job be given to someone else. I it's kind of agree with Mark here, but I also totally. like the fact that there, there, the other two reasons that have been given, and I don't know how true these are, I'm sure that they're not, but one is that it's payback from um, the establishment for Sturton write, reading, writing a book last year in which he described the sainted, uh, now-dead Queen Mum as a horrible old bigot. Oh, right. <laughs> and then the other one is that they, the Today uh, presenter panel makeup is so uh, balanced that if they have one middle-class posh-sounding voice on it, male voice on it, they can't have two. So if they were going to get Justin Webb on, yeah. then they had to lose I thought the interesting thing in that, uh, that news uh, cutting I, I, I gave you was, was the fact that the huge groundswell of support campaigning to have him reinstated had been started on a Facebook site, a Facebook site operated by his son. <laughs> which, uh, I thought it was just the world, the world of Facebook, about which, as you know, I know absolutely nothing. It's just so I thought, it was rather, I thought it was rather touching that his 23-year-old son should, uh, you know, go into bats for his dad, you know, was prepared to put his head above the parapet. Yeah, it was you touching. Know, I wish my children would do yeah, the same touching. for me. <laughs> you know, yeah. who are the only people who won't be my friends on yeah. Facebook? My children. <laughs> Dad's lost his job. What does he do again? I can't remember. Yeah. Is he still working? Oh, he pays yeah. for us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, oh, no, no more holidays. But anyway, all TV or radio careers eventually <laughs> end in acrimony and bad feeling and disgrace, disgust. Well, have you been watching the um, the, the Channel Five's sixties uh, series? Um, no, it's been really interesting. It's, they've had lots of kind of uh, unseen interviews and stuff. But the the face that I love seeing from the sixties is the one of Mr. Simon D, who I was. Jonathan Ross. He was Jonathan Ross. Yeah, and, and not was as long Jonathan, as Jonathan Ross, Ross has been Jonathan in Ross. some of Jonathan Ross's shirts. Too, yeah, he? he was Jonathan Ross, Terry Wogan, and everything. I mean, I, I rolled in together, wasn't he? He was huge. He rolled in a sweater. No, not for very Why long. About twenty minutes. Period of time. Yes, and but, but now, literally, well, he probably could get arrested, but he couldn't get much else. Serious point. Whatever you are in television uh, or radio, you know, Michael Parkinson, Jonathan Ross, doesn't matter what a big star you are. One day, you're, you're going to get elbowed, and you're going to be embarrassed. And you're going to fall out with whoever your employer was. Is that true? 
Mm-hmm. Do you have, have you ever come across a retired broadcaster? A, have you ever come across a retired broadcaster? B, have you ever come across a retired broadcaster who's got a nice thing to say about the people who used to employ him? But isn't, I mean, it, isn't it exactly the same as politics? Is that, is that you're paid a reasonable amount of money, you have a terrific amount of power, you have a terrific amount of, of, of public presence, which I imagine is probably quite addictive, actually. Um, and therefore, why would you want to give that up Voluntarily, no, but it always waits. You always get to the point where politicians, someone takes them for a walk around the block. Well, no, that's and that's they take them for a walk around the block, and they say, I "Tell you what, we, we step aside. We're bringing on someone a bit younger." Why? I'm brilliant. I have. But they said, "No, but let's." Uh, uh, politicians, politicians have a really grounded sense of, of their place in the world because they know that every five years they have to submit to the most fickle. No, that's true. There is a voting system. World. No, absolutely fine. You know, and they know that. They're ready. For, they're, they're, they are ready unless, for disgrace. Unless, of course, your name is Mandelson. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> goes away and comes back. Yeah, but they're, they're aware of that. Whereas TV presenters act with that kind of injured, I never saw this coming air. You know what I mean? And you think, it, it, you must have known it, it was going to come. But Dave point. Lee Travis seems to have taken it on the chin. <laughs> hasn't got a bad word to say about anybody, has he? So, the politics thing reminded me that there's a, I think it was the article in The Guardian on exactly this, on, on uh, the sacking from today, that apparently whenever the line is, when you ask, say, a politician, t- 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 greet a politician with the words, how are you? <laughs> the, the, the comeback is always, why? What have you heard? Yes, <laughs> why? Who are you? <laughs> so, talking of career... Talking about editing, uh, there was, there was, uh, uh, Matt may have edited out something that I said that wasn't uh, legal, <laughs> if you're still listening to it. But I was, I was at a party the other day, and I met the great Martin Jarvis, the great actor. And, uh, the voiceover specialist. The voiceover specialist. And uh, at one and point, he, he, he told me about his son. I said, how old is your son? And he said, uh, this will come as a bit of a bombshell. He said, he's 42. And obviously the response then is, is you've got to say, oh, my You're God, very, you must have been young. very young when you were a dad. And I just, I paused for a second. He said, don't worry, I can edit that beat out. He <laughs> <laughs> said, little beat, I can edit it out. <laughs> it was just such a funny thing to say. <laughs> Now, talking of career insecurity, and I know Matt has to be very careful about saying anything to do with the BBC because he has loads of friends who work there. Not that Mark and I do at all. But um, they are still looking for a controller of Radio 2. Mm. Yes, Interviews this the, week, actually. The, okay. That explains the shirt and tie, David. Okay. Is that going <laughs> yeah, yeah. I wonder why it's such a short podcast. You said you were <laughs> rushing on somewhere. <laughs> the hot favourite, hotly tipped in the media pages, is Andy Parfit from, from Radio, Radio 1. 1. Mm-hmm. Okay. I want you to picture this. Can there be a person at Radio 2 and at Radio 1 who hasn't rehearsed this scenario (laughs) in their head? Which is, Andy Parfit goes to Radio 2 and he takes with him, over a period of time, all the DJs who are now slightly too old to be on Radio 1. Which, as Andrew Collins has pointed out... So you kick it off on Sunday mornings? Steve Lamack. There you go. (laughs) Joe Wiley, whatever. Thereby also breeding insecurity amongst all the people who went to Radio 2 in the last great move ten years ago. So when Radio 2 becomes Radio 1, what happens to the old Radio 2, man? Uh, it moves back, goes back it around, becomes it makes Radio six Oxford. music or something like that. And that like then becomes that, Radio yeah. Norwich, and that becomes Radio well, Solon. And then uh, you finish I, up on heart. I think there should be a revival of Radio guarantee. Cardigan. You know, I think I think there's a there's a great you know place for that. Radio Comfy. I think you know light music. I'd like to hear that. I think there ought to be a station providing that. Is it there is, a station is, providing is, that? No, but it is bizarre. I was listening to Radio Two last night, actually wrapping some Christmas presents. Listening to um, Stuart McConey and um, that lovely man Mark 
Radcliffe from Manchester, and it's just bizarre. So it got to ten o'clock, and they've been playing. They played some Davy Graham. They played um, some Elba. They played some really good tunes. The news is on at ten. Fine. And then afterwards, Nigel Ogden, the organist, entertained. Yes. <laughs> he just thought they're driving a car, and you changed gears like that. The big end would be behind you in the road. <laughs> Except, you know, maybe there should be more of that kind of thing on radio because everybody's trying to get the station sound so that, you know, when you punch the buttons on your car radio you know exactly what you're listening to. Yeah, well, it kind of works. I mean, it kind of works from the point of view of, well, you know, people are uh, uh, are not listening in a linear fashion anymore and they're using the kind of... um the iPlayer and they're listening back on different ways. But then, of course, the problem is that, yeah, but how many people who listen to The Organist Entertains actually, you know, use the iPlayer that often? I don't even know what The Organist Entertains is. Is it an organist who well, entertains? No, it, it, organ? he, 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 they're, they're recordings the from, the, from the big... The musicals. Yeah, no, 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 the organs, the theatre organs. Blapple, Blapple Tower Ballroom. Organ, coming organ up out music has a very the specific following. Wow. You know, a, bit, so a big, it's, well, it's not even a world, so it's, it's a big, born big free proper. and all those yeah, big, all of big tunes. Yeah, 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 yeah big tunes. Yeah, yeah. Goes, yeah, it's the technology as well as the music, isn't it? You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's you know, rare organs and so forth. Insert your own sticker here. Insert your own nah-nah here. Organ donors. Long may it continue to flourish. Okay, got anything else? No, we haven't, but I think we all, if we don't talk to them again, we should wish our listeners and readers a very happy Christmas, David. It's gone quiet. What? There's <laughs> no, no, a little bit of seasonal This podcast was brought to you by The Word. Details at wordmagazine.co.uk. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com